anyway, thanks for being here. Glad you could make it out. Um, I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well. Thanks for tuning in, um, if, especially if you live too far away to be here in person or maybe you're out of town or whatever the reason is. Glad you are watching. If you do live close enough to attend in person, uh, you are missing out if you don't. So I don't know what else to say except just don't stay online if you can at all be here in person. Now, um, today we are starting a brand new series called Finding Freedom. Um, I almost broke the TV. It's a four-week series, um, and here's, here's really kind of the concept, here's the heart behind this series. Uh, when we properly understand Christianity, we find incredible freedom in our lives. I mean, that, that is it. When we understand who Jesus is, what he did, this whole God thing, when we get a better picture of Christianity, we find a freedom in our lives that many of us probably thought was not even possible. And so every week of this series, we're going to be talking about finding that freedom, hence the name, and how we live in the freedom that this whole Christianity sort of thing offers us. Now, um, you, you know, like none of us want to be on people's bad side, right? Unless you've got somebody that you're particularly not fond of. Most of us don't want to be in people's bad side. If you remember back when you were in school, uh, middle school and high school, some of you that was a lot longer than others. But uh, if you remember back then, none of us wanted to be on the principal's bad side, right? We might have been all in different, you know, we had our little cliques in our group. Some of us were jocks. And when I say us, I definitely don't mean me. But like some of you were jocks. Some of us were nerds. Some of us were band people, goth, whatever your little kind of label was. And maybe there wasn't a lot that united us. But what did is none of us wanted to get in trouble with the principal, right? None of us wanted to go to his office. We wanted to avoid the principal's bad side. Maybe for you, this comes up in your family, that you've got a, you know, an uncle or a brother or a grandpa, or maybe your spouse, don't nudge them if they're sitting next to you, but you just don't want to be on their bad side, right? And, and maybe for you, a successful holiday is not whether everybody came or not, not whether the dinner was burned or not, but like a good Christmas in your book is nobody got on uncle so-and-so's bad side. Nobody really ticked off grandpa such as like, we made it another holiday. Let's, okay, we got 364 more days before we got to worry about that again. Maybe it's at our jobs, at, at our place of employment. You know, hey, just stay away from Sally. Don't get on her bad side or stay away from your boss. I mean, just, you know what? We don't, we don't, we don't want to be friends with our boss. We don't want to go on a vacation with it. We don't even really care about doing a good job necessarily. We just, we don't want to screw up so bad that we get on our boss's bad side. And whether it's at school, family, work, wherever else we find this, we just don't want to be on people's bad side. And I think this is how a lot of people view God as well. Now, I know there's a growing segment in our population of people who claim to be atheist. Um, maybe that's you here tonight, or maybe that's you watching online. Um, if so, just glad you're here. But I don't think that's the majority of us. I think most of us believe in God. We know he exists. He's somewhere out there somewhere. And certainly across the board, none of us want to be on God's bad side, right? I mean, raise your hand if that's a goal of yours. I want to be on God's bad side. Sorry, I should have specified a little clearer. If you want to be on God's bad side, raise your hand. Yeah, okay, nobody, right, because we're all rational, sane people. Nobody wants to be on God's bad side, and we, we may or may not be interested in reading the Bible. We may or may not do the whole church sort of thing. We may or may not want to live a Christian life, however you kind of define that, but like, 
what's common between all of us is none of us want to be on God's bad side. We don't even care so much if he's indifferent towards us. Like, you know what? We'll just, I'll be here, you be there, you do that. Just, just not mad, right? Just not punishing us. We don't want to be on his blacklist. And really, I think that's kind of the goal of all major religions is how to live in such a way as to not be on God's bad side, you know? Do this, don't do that. Go here, don't go there. Say these things, don't say these things. Fold your hands this way, don't fold. I mean, all these sorts of things. And like, hopefully the thought behind this religion is hopefully if we cross our T's and cross our fingers and for Christians, if we do the sign of the cross, then maybe, maybe we'll be good enough, right? Maybe if we're good enough, that'll be enough. Hopefully when the end of our life comes, we will have been on God's good side and we will have avoided his bad side enough to make it. I mean, is that, is that kind of your assumption? Maybe the assumption of people you've heard, is that how you've operated under in the past? Hopefully good enough will be enough someday. But here's the thing about that sort of thought or that sort of approach to God. I'm just not sure that's really a good way to live. And I'm 100% sure there is no freedom in that sort of thinking. If we're going to approach God with how good is good enough, then we have some serious questions to answer. First of all, how good is good enough? I mean, is it, is it 51% good? Is that enough to skate by? Is it 70% good we have to be? What if it was only 20% good and you and I missed out on like a lot of fun things? That'd be a bummer. What if it's 90% good and some of us had a little too much fun? I mean, what do you, what do, you do then? Does God grade our goodness on a curve? Like, did Mother Teresa throw off the whole thing and we're all just like royally screwed for all eternity? I mean, how, how good is good enough? Do 10 little goods outweigh one big bad? How do you know? How, I mean, how, how are we going to know how much good we have to have? And then it's not only how much good, but what kind of good? If we're going to approach this whole God thing with, you know, hopefully I'll be good enough to avoid his bad side, well, then what definition of good are we using? Are we using my definition of good? Are we going to use your definition of good? Are we going to use our grandparents' definition of good? Are we going to use a, a, a Nazi's definition of good? I mean, those are all going to be vastly different answers. Sometimes I, I know we think, well, we'll just, whatever culture says. Yeah, but culture changes all the time. So what version of culture are we going to use? Oh, I'm just going to use my own internal moral compass. Okay, well, what I thought was right and good at 15, not everything I think is right and good right now at 36. And I'm certain in another 20 or 30 years, not everything I think right now is right and good is going to be right. So like, how in the world are we going to answer this question? How good is good enough? Well, maybe we just got to try. Okay, how hard Try as hard as you can. I don't even know what that means. I've never tried as hard as I can at anything in my entire life. Okay, be sincere. How sincere? I mean, these are, I'm kind of making light of this, but these are serious questions that we have to answer if we're going to approach God with, you know what, I don't want to be on his bad side, but how good is he? I mean, what are the boundaries? What are the rules? Where are the, where are the guidelines for us? To me, this sort of thinking is like driving down a road you've never been down before, and you don't know what the speed limit is, there's no signs, your GPS doesn't tell you, and there's a police officer behind you the whole time. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like anxiety. That's like, am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Am I swerving? Does he think I'm drunk? Are my tabs expired? Is there a warrant out for my arrest? I mean, all these different things that is absolutely not a free way to live. 
And if there's anything, which I, I don't know where you land on whole eternity and anything, but if there is anything after this life, then leaving it up to, I hope I'm good enough, and that sounds scary to me. I think that's why a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have such a fear of death, isn't it? Because we don't know what's coming next, and all the best we can do is hope that we've been good enough. Hope that the scales tip in our favor. Hopefully we've been on God's good side more than his bad side. And again, to me, I just wonder, like, where is the mental freedom in that sort of living? I'm not sure you and I can find any sort of freedom or any sort of internal peace if that's how we're going to approach God. But here's the thing. It's this situation, this dilemma, that where we, when we properly understand Christianity— offers us incredible freedom. But to get to that freedom, we've got we to cover some bad news first. I was, I was up in a, at a staff retreat a couple weeks ago, and one of the employees, we were having our meeting, she came in and she told us this freight, we were asking her some questions. She said, it'll be great, or it'll be worse at first, but it'll be greater later. And like, it had nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, but I just thought, like, that's a cool saying, so I'm going to say it except I don't want you to think it was me. It'll be worse at first, but it'll be greater later. We've got to cover some bad news first. And the, the bad news, unfortunately, is this. None of us want to be on God's bad side, right? We've, we've established, that's not our heart. That's not our desire or goal. But unfortunately, left to ourselves on our own, that's where we all are anyway. Jesus talked about this so often in his teachings and parables and things like that. We're just going to read one of them tonight from his Sermon on the Mount. He says this, But I warn you, okay, pay attention, don't miss this, don't skip by this. I warn you, unless your righteousness or your goodness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, unless you're better than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've got this question in our lives and our minds, how good is good enough? And Jesus comes right out and tells us the answer, perfection. Perfection is what it takes. If we want to be good enough, then we have to be perfect because God is perfect. God is holy. God is set apart. He is blameless. And anything that is not as holy and perfect as him doesn't make the cut. Jesus referenced these teachers and Pharisees and stuff like that. And, and it, it, here's the thing about those people. They were the best behaving people in culture during Jesus' time. These were religious people who had spent their lives studying Jewish law, trying to figure out the boundaries. If there was a, a, a rule here for behavior, don't cross this line, man, they would make 30 steps away from there just to make sure they didn't even get close to crossing that line. And Jesus looks at the people he was talking to at the time and in effect us too and says, listen, you got to be better than them. you got to be better than professional good people. If you want to be on God's good side, you have to be absolutely perfect. A couple decades after Jesus was on this earth, one of his followers named Paul writes a letter that we call Romans. And towards the beginning of this letter of Romans, he just goes into more detail about this, this, this problem that humanity has with not being good enough. And we're not going to read everything he says, but he's trying to make this large, compelling case. And he says this. He says, since they, just talking about people in general, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. But as a result, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, 
sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Interesting that that one's in the list with all the others. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents, which if you're a parent in the room, that's like a great one to use on your kids when they're not listening. So uh, that's my parenting advice for you. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, but yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And here's what I think Paul is trying to get at as he's writing these words. I think he's just trying to get every one of his readers to do this. Yep. Yep. Okay, we're not quite sure how good is good enough, but we know that they don't make it. We know that people who live, obviously they're not good enough. You know, no matter what our lives look like, we can all nod our heads in agreement. That isn't going to make the cut. And in the next sentence, he addresses this type of thinking. He says, you may think you can condemn such people. And isn't that what we tend to do, all of us? We tend to point out the flaws in other people. Well, yeah, of course they can't be with you, God. Of course my brother can. I mean, have you seen the, <laughs> he is? Of course murderers can't. Of course, you know, rapists can't. Of course people like that can't. But, but God, I'm pretty good. I try. You know, every time I know I do something wrong, well, then I try and at least, you know, pay it back a little. God, okay, yeah, I know not everybody can, but like, I'm good enough, right? Other people, nope, got it. They're horrible. They don't deserve to be on your good side. But me, am I okay? But what Paul is doing here is just setting up like this catch-22 for every single person who would ever read his words. He says, listen, you think you can condemn such people, but uh, you're just as bad. And listen, you don't even have an excuse. When you say they are wicked, when you point a finger this way and they should be punished, you're actually condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. Now, maybe not same things as in exact behaviors, but same things as in just as guilty. Paul's writing to these Romans and he says, yeah, you know what? You, you might have never murdered anybody before, but you've had hate. You're just as guilty. Yeah, okay, maybe you've, you've never, uh, you know, done malicious behavior, but you, you've been proud. Okay, maybe you've never, you know, backstabbed somebody, but you know what? You've been angry. Like, here's the thing. We are all guilty, every single one of us. We've all sinned. Now, some of us have sinned more than others. Some of us have sinned worse than others. Some of us sin more on purpose. Some of us more on accident. But, like, the fact is we are all in the same boat. And Paul is just, Paul's writing these words to say, listen, we've all lied. We've all broken promises. We've all been disobedient to our parents. And we want to try and find gray area in these things. And hopefully, God, I'm good enough. But from God's perspective, it's a black and white issue. Either we are perfect or we're not. Either we are sinless or we are sinful. Either we are right with him, we're on his good side, or we are not right with him and we're on his bad side, if you want to call it. There is this, there is only an either or. There is no middle ground. 
And Paul keeps writing through the first chapter, through the second chapter, halfway through the third chapter of just building this insurmountable, unescapable tension for every human being that every single one of us cannot be right with God on our own. No matter who we are, no matter what our background is, no matter what our church attendance looks like, no matter how much money we've given, no matter how hard we try, we are all guilty. In fact, he gets to this point towards the middle of chapter 3. is just kind of like his end-all, be-all statement on the matter. He says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. All of God's rules and instructions and do this and don't do that and ten commandments and all that sort of stuff, what they are is they reveal to us we aren't good enough. The more rules there are, the more we see, I broke that one, I broke that one, I couldn't do it. God, the more we realize that, that I'm just as guilty as you, that you're just as guilty as me, that we're all just as guilty as the first century Romans Paul was writing to, that all of us together are just as guilty as any other person who has ever lived. As much as we want to be on God's good side, Jesus says it, Paul reiterates it, so many other places we can read. We cannot be there on our own. We are separated from God because we have all sinned. That's the bad news. But the good news is what Paul writes in the next sentence. And the next, the next little bit we're going to read, I just think, are maybe some of the greatest words ever written by any human being that talk about this Christian thing and the incredible freedom we can find. Paul says, listen, nobody can ever be made right with God. But now, now that we find ourselves in that situation where we are hopeless, with, with no chance of being right with God, in the middle of that, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, without having to behave a certain way, without having to be good enough in this way that was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God. We are on his good side, if you want to call it that, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter what our life looks like, no matter what sin we're engaged in or not engaged in, no matter what our background is, this is true for everyone who would believe. For everyone has sinned. We talked about that. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But yet God, in his grace, out of his love, he wanted to do this. He freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Why? Because God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, the payment for our sin. People, you and I, anybody who would do this, people are made right with God when they believe, not when we behave, but when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is the message of Christianity this is, this is why Jesus is such a big deal. This is why faith is so important. This is what makes Christianity different from not only every other religion in the world, but even every other system in the world, is that it's not merit-based. We can be made right with God, not because we deserve it, 
but because of our trust in Jesus. That Jesus did live a perfect life. Jesus, the one and only Son of God, came to this world, lived a sinless life, something that no other human being has ever done, voluntarily gave up his life to take the penalty, the punishment that we deserved, and in return gives us his righteousness or his right standing with God when we believe that we can be on God's good side because of what Jesus did for us. That Jesus was not just another good teacher. I mean, he was that, but he was more than a good teacher, more than just a messenger, more than just a great example of how we ought to live. But Jesus is the one and only way to be made right with God. Paul writes this big case that everyone was destined to be on God's bad side. But through Jesus, everybody has the possibility, the opportunity to be made right with God when we put our trust in Jesus. When we believe that he took the punishment, the separation, whatever you want to call it, that we deserve, there's a trade that happens. And like, I just wonder, do we get this? Do we understand how incredibly freeing this is? Because of Jesus, this means that that whole good enough thing is done away with. That means that trying hard enough or being sincere enough or giving it the old one-two, like all of that is completely done away. That doesn't matter anymore. Now, it matters for our lives, okay? How we live and behave. It matters for relationships with other people. It matters for how, you know, pain-free we want our lives to go. Like, listen, here's just, here's some good advice you can take to the bank. Don't murder people. Okay? Like just your life is going to generally go better the less people you murder. Okay? The less we lie, the more mental peace we're going to have and not have to be anxious about what do we tell people and keep stories. Just like there are some good reasons to live a good life. But not one of those reasons has anything to do with our rightness with God. Jesus took care of all of that. He he trades places with us on this spiritual level where we could not be right with God when we trust Jesus. We can. And I, I love this verse in 1 Timothy that Paul writes. He says, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. One middleman between the two. The man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That there was like, like this debt that we owe, this debt we could never repay. And Jesus shows up with an unlimited visa card and says, I'll take care of all of it for you. We don't have to clean up our lives first. We don't have to get our act together first. We don't have to fix all of our problems first. We don't have to start doing the church thing first. No, we can just put our trust in Jesus right where we are and say, I believe you make me right with God. And like here... This brings such an incredible freedom on the inside. And I just, like, do we understand the implications of the freedom that Jesus brings to our insides, to our minds, to the peace that we can experience? So many of us, we live wondering, wondering if I'm going to be good enough, wondering if I'm going to make it, Wondering if I've done enough to kind of tip the scales in my favor. Wondering if, you know, what's going to happen. And like, that's taxing, man. That is exhausting to always have to be looking in the rearview mirror and counting things and keeping mental tallies. But through Jesus, we are promised 
that we can be right with God, that we are right with God. Not wonder if we are, but promised that we are. So often we, 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 we have like this hopefully sort of mentality. Hopefully at the end I'll have made it. Hopefully I make the cut. Hopefully my good outweighs my bad. Again, just, man, that, there's no peace in that sort of thinking. But through Jesus, when we put our trust in him, we don't have to live hopefully anymore. There is like this assurance that we are right with God. Like it's a settled, done matter. We talked about earlier this fear that, that, that maybe many of us live with fear of what's going to happen because if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not perfect. We know we couldn't make the cut on our own. So there's this fear of like, what if I don't make it? What's going to happen? What about each other? What if I don't get their sort of thing? And like, it can be overwhelming and it, it drives our lives. But listen, when we put our trust in Jesus, our eternity is secure. Our rightness with God is absolutely secure and paid for. No more doubt, no more wonder, no more hopefully, no more fear, no more maybe, no more second guessing. Like we can just know that we 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 are completely and totally 100% right with God. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if the law could give us new life, well, then we could be made right with God by obeying it, by our behaviors. But the scriptures declare, listen, we're all prisoners of sin. None of us can do that. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Only. If there was another way to be made right with God, one of us would have figured it out. Some of us could have made it. But since that's not the case, it's only Jesus it's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. Is Jesus for good people? Is Jesus for bad people? It's Jesus for those of us that try to live good lives, and Jesus for those of us that don't try to live good lives. It's Jesus for those of us that try to walk the straight and narrow, and Jesus for those of us that drift back and forth and get into all. It is all about Jesus. Here's the thing I, I know, especially for those of us, if you have grown up in the church, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, maybe you were kind of brought up doing the whole, you know, God, Jesus sort of thing. I think there's this, unfortunately, there's this tendency in us to forget this. I don't know what it is about us as human beings, but we seem to always want to complicate stuff. We want to take stuff that's easy and simple and just make it more work, make it more complicated, add a bunch of, you know, conditions that don't need to be there. And the same thing happens in this where we so quickly forget that Jesus purchased our eternal freedom, our spiritual freedom. And when we mess that up, it robs us of the freedom that we experience in our lives, that we can experience in our lives. And so many times in the New Testament, we are warned against turning away from Jesus. But, but one of them is just a couple chapters after this in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, listen, so Christ has truly set us free, right? We got that. We can be right with God through no effort of our own, just by who we trust, what we believe. But now, now that we are free, now that those of us that we have put our trust in Jesus, now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Or in other words, now that you understand that, that it has nothing to do with 
behaviors or trying or how good is good enough. Now that you've been released from all that, don't go back to that system. Don't go back to that sort of way of thinking. We're not going to read everything Galatians chapter 5. I would encourage all of us to do that sometime later. But here's basically what Paul goes on to say. He says this. Listen, if you want to play the rule-keeping game, go for it. Like we're, we're all adults. We've got a free will. God lets us make our own choices. If we want to play the how good is good enough game, if we want to play, you know, if we think being made right with God can happen through our behaviors, then try that route out. But he says, be, 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 be aware of this. If you're going to play that game, you've got to play by the rules and you have to be perfect. If behaviors are going to get you to God, then you have to be perfect at every behavior all the time your entire life. And if you want to play the behavior game, then Jesus is of no value to you. It's not Jesus and behaviors. It's not Jesus and good enough. It's not Jesus and trying really hard. Paul says, listen, stay free of all that. Stay free of that sort of thinking. Don't, Jesus has released the chains of of not being right with God. Don't put them back on by trying to make this more complicated than it needs to be. He says, listen, don't dilute what Jesus has done by thinking you have to add something to it. Don't water down what Jesus has done by thinking you have to add to what Jesus did. And so here's the thing. There is, because of what Jesus did, there is incredible spiritual, eternal freedom for our lives. Not only just in heaven someday, but even right now. When we put our trust in Jesus, we can find incredible freedom in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, that the wondering, the worry, all of that stuff is completely done away with. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to give every one of us an opportunity to put our trust in Jesus. I'm going I'm to have the band come back up, and as they do, try not to pay attention to them. But all, all we're going to do is I'm going to lead us in a prayer to put our trust in Jesus. We're not going to raise hands. Nobody's going to come up front. No cards to fill out. No numbers to text. This is just uh, us being open and honest with God. And if you want to put your trust in Jesus either for the first time or maybe you've kind of drifted from only trusting Jesus and you want to put your trust only in him again, I just want to invite you to pray along with me. So uh, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and uh, just follow along with me in your heart. Father, tonight I acknowledge my sinfulness. It's not fun to say. Not even maybe easy to say, but God, I know that I am not perfect. And I know that I don't measure up to your standard. I know that you are perfect and there's no chance of me ever being made right with you. I have sinned and I have fallen short of your your requirement, the perfection that's needed. And so tonight, God, I, I admit my need for Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you took the penalty I deserved. I believe that you paid the debt that I should have paid. And I put my trust in you, that you are the only way for me to be made right with God. I believe that there is no other way under the sun 
for me to be on, on God's good side, except only through you, Jesus. Tonight, I put my whole trust in you. Thank you for making me holy. Thank you for trading places with me. Thank you for making me right with my Heavenly Father. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.